Good morning. I'll pray for us real quick before we start, because it's a habit and I like it. <laughs> um, Holy Spirit, we do invite you. We do invite you into our midst. Um, I know that in my, in my humanness, I can't say any words that can change a single heart here, but you can. And so we do pray, would you come and inhabit this place? Would you come and have your way, Holy Spirit, in our hearts? And would you make us more like Christ for having been with you? We pray it in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, for those of you who don't know me, I am Jennifer Cronk. I live in Cincinnati. Um, currently, I'm the assistant pastor of children and families at my church there. And um, I'm trying to think of a few little trivia things about me. I lived in China for two years um, after college, did some uh, college ministry work there. Um, I have a dog uh, named Bentley. He's a pound puppy, so he's a little bit of a lot of things. And I have a little free library in my front yard. So there's three things now that you know about me. Uh, well, to start us off this morning, I have a question for you. When was the last time that you heard someone use the word holy in the course of their daily conversation? So think back in your recesses of your mind. And I want you to share it with us out loud, but I will say, keep it PG, okay? Keep it PG. So when's the last time you heard someone use the word holy? Holy cow, holy cow. absolutely. What else? Mm-hmm. Holy smokes. What other? Say again. Holy Moses. Holy mackerel. Any more? Okay, well, I, I searched Google because I was like, I want to see what are the most commonly ways, commonly used ways we uh, use the word holy. And here's the list that Google gave me. Holy terror, a holy cow, holy grail, holy macaroni, holy mackerel, holy moly, holy Moses, which I hadn't heard of that one before, so that's impressive that you knew that. Holy smokes, Holy Terror, and of course, because we're in Ohio, Holy Toledo. <laughs> now, none of those have anything to do with true holiness, right? <laughs> you might have also heard the word used uh, last Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, but it probably is not one that we can say out loud with the PG rule. With all of that in mind, might it be true that to most Americans, true holiness the kind of holiness that God talks about in the Bible is just a foreign concept to us. Well, as we get ready next week to start the new sermon series uh, for Lent on abiding, I thought the idea of holiness would be a good preface to that. So our passage today is from the book of Hebrews. Now, the purpose of the book of Hebrews is to show how Jesus is the better version of every Old Testament office. The better priest, the better temple, the better prophet, the better king. And after the author has proved that Jesus is superior in every other way, he makes a startling declaration in chapter 12. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Verse 14. Now, the rest of the chapter focuses on how we interact with each other as the church, because they were kind of struggling. 
But right there in the middle, plopped down, is this little stick of dynamite. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now it seems, it appears, like holiness is a pretty big deal, right? Without it, we won't be able to see or know God. So it's probably worth our time to understand how God defines holiness. Well, we'll start with with common definition from Merriam-Webster. They define the word this way. One who is perfect in goodness or righteousness. But that's not exactly what the Bible means when we talk about holiness. So let's go a step further. Holiness is not just goodness embodied or epitomized. There's another element to it that's important. In Leviticus 11.44, God says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. God is calling us to be like him. Now, for those of you who are theologians in the room, you might be thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's what Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden for. They ate that apple. They were trying to be like God. But in that instance, God was not judging Adam and Eve for a, he he was judging them for having a misplaced method, not a misplaced motive. God does want us to be like him, not only for his glory, but for our own good. Years ago, I was visiting one of our Sunday school classes. They were learning the kids' version of the Westminster Catechism. And the question that they were memorizing that week was question 21. And it asks this, in what condition did God make Adam and Eve? Any scholars out there that, can, that know the answer? This is a hard one. We don't hear this very much. So question 21, in what condition did God make Adam and Eve? And the answer stopped me in my tracks. He made them holy and happy. Holy and happy. What a strange combination, I thought to myself. What in the world does holiness have to do with happiness? Now, as Americans, we're used to hearing that we're entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's how we hear it talked about, right? I'm guessing, though, if you ask the average American what would make them happy, the questions, even the the answers, even though they're varied, would fall within some basic categories. Quality of life, financial stability, good health, and really good family relationships. I would be shocked if you heard one person out of a thousand say, what makes me truly happy is living a holy life. Right? Wouldn't you be shocked too if you heard someone say that? I will admit it, when I used to think of holiness, I would generally picture a nun or someone nun-like with a long skirt. And I realize I am kind of my own example of this today, but a long skirt, long hair, no makeup, who probably didn't own a single electronic device and definitely never stayed in to watch Netflix all night, binge watch. Or maybe I would picture a Trappist monk. Now these are the core rituals of a Trappist monk. You ready? Hard labor, silence, a meager diet, isolation from the world, 
and the renunciation of most studies. That sounds like a fun Friday night, right? But what if we've gotten it wrong? What if the holiness that God speaks of is not designed to be, what if holiness that God speaks of is designed to be the culmination of all happiness rather than the absence of it? C.S. Lewis wrote in his Letters to an American Lady, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. So how do we begin to experience holiness that way? How does it become a thing of joy for us rather than a labor of love? We get a glimpse of it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now it's important that we understand what was going on in this chapter. Just like the verses that we read earlier in Hebrews, the Corinthians were fussing and fighting. Some preferred one leader over another. They were arguing over preferences and they were tearing the church apart with their selfishness. In the midst of all this infighting, Paul reminds them that they are God's temple. That his very spirit, his holy presence, lives not just with them, but inside of them. Let's read together 1 Corinthians 3. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Verses 16 and 17. Did you catch that last phrase? You are that temple. It didn't say if you dot 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 or when you, dot, 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 or maybe someday you can be that temple. It says you are God's temple, the temple of his Holy Spirit right now, which means that we don't have to manufacture holiness. We don't have to try harder or want it more or set goals in order to attain it. We have free and full access through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the key. A.W. Tozer put it this way, holiness as taught in the scriptures is not based upon knowledge on our part. Rather, it's based upon the resurrected Christ indwelling us and changing us into his likeness. Okay, now stick with me. I'm gonna tell you a story to illustrate this. It might seem a little odd, but stick with me. The process of Growing in holiness reminds me of changing a baby's diaper. For those of you who are parents or have had kids in your home, um, maybe you babysat or you were even reluctant older siblings, have you ever tried to change the diaper of a baby who just did not want their diaper changed? It's exhausting, right? It's like being in a 10-minute wrestling match with the strongest human you've ever met. Babies who can't even crawl yet are somehow able to stand up and walk when there's a diaper change at stake. It's a workout. That's a little bit what it's like for the Holy Spirit to work out holiness in us. As he cleans and tidies us up and removes sin from our lives, we often balk and contort and wail just like that baby. Though it's foolishness for us to stay in our dirty diaper, 
We often prefer our sin over God's cleansing touch. One time, many moons ago, I won't say how many, I was nannying for a two-year-old boy. His mom had taken him out for lunch with the girls, which meant she was showing him off, basically. So he, they had gone to a restaurant. He had dried smoothie all over his face when he came back, all in his hair, all in his shirt, everywhere. Rather than bathing him or changing his clothes, she decided just to strip him down to his diaper and put him down for his nap. Now, he was already very late for his nap and now keyed up on the sugar of a smoothie. So I quickly realized that a nap was not going to happen that day. So I began to clean the kitchen, watching him on the baby monitor, just to give him a little rest time so that he could work down those sugar shakes from the smoothie. About 10 or 15 minutes went by of him just playing around in his crib. And it was then that I noticed that he had gotten really still. He hadn't moved from that one spot in his crib for several minutes. Now, if you have been in this situation, you probably know what's about to happen. Panic set in, right? It looked like his hand was moving around in the side of his diaper. But surely I was imagining that, right? So I bolted, this is too real for you, isn't it? <laughs> I bolted up the staircase to his room. I entered the room, and when I saw him, I gasped out loud. This baby, his body, his crib, his sheet, even the wall, were covered in poop. Covered. Needless to say, I had to hold my breath while I used about a thousand baby wipes to wipe every single crevice of his personage, and then I gave him a very long and very thorough bath. Now, my first thought when I saw him was, why? Why in the world would you want to cover yourself in poop? Friends, isn't this the same exasperated feeling that the spirit must have as he watches us choose the second-rate ways of the world over God's good and perfect ways? Doesn't the Holy Spirit demonstrate the same kind of patience and care as he carefully cleanses us again and again? But what if, rather than bucking and whining, we learn to embrace God's healing touch, to cooperate with his Holy Spirit as he cleanses us from sin and makes us more like our Father? How very different would that diaper-changing experience be if the baby was willing, even happy, to be cleaned up and refreshed? Dwight Moody, you all know the famous preacher Dwight Moody? He spoke often about the Holy Spirit and holiness. The story is told that once, speaking to a large audience, he held up a glass and he asked, how can I get the air out of this glass? One man shouted, suck it out with a pump. Moody replied, well, that would create a vacuum, which would shatter the glass. After numerous other suggestions, Moody smiled. 
he picked up a pitcher of water and he filled the glass. There, he said, now all the air is removed. He then went on to explain that victory in the Christian life is not accomplished by sucking out a sin here and there, but rather by being filled with the Holy Spirit. What if holiness didn't have to feel like having the life sucked out of you? What if it rather could feel like having life breathed into you? Can you imagine what it would feel like to pursue holy living because the goodness of God was so much more satisfying to us than sin? Peter points out that the church is called to be set apart from the world. Their holiness means that they actually look different. In 1 Peter, he writes, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 1 Peter 2.9. Our lives should literally radiate. We should be light shiners, life givers, and purveyors of the marvelous. What would it look like to our neighbors if we lived that way? What if your household was the most radiant, the most marvelous, and the most joyful in your whole neighborhood? So how do we become those kind of life givers, those light shiners, those people who look like they haven't just been with God, but that they have enjoyed being with God? Holiness doesn't have to be so mysterious as we make it out to be. It doesn't have to be so out of reach. If, in fact, we're called to live this way, which clearly, according to the scriptures, we are, then God must have made some kind of provision for us to become this kind of people. That provision is his Holy Spirit. It's a daily partnership with the Holy Spirit trusting him, submitting to his ways rather than our own, and seeking out his will rather than our own. It's learning to live as children who trust the gentle care and good intentions of their heavenly father. Now, maybe it's because I work mostly with kids, or maybe it's the way I'm wired, but I'm really practical about theology. So I have a few suggestions for you in how you can get started in this journey of yielding to the Holy Spirit and learning to be the holy and happy person he made you to be. I'm sure it's not comprehensive, but here are a few ideas. Number one, know God's word. Know it deep down in your bones. Read it, study it, memorize it, and most importantly, follow it. Think of the Bible as God's instruction manual for happiness, or you could call it happiness for dummies. If you want to know how to be happy, what are you waiting for? Get in his word, even if it's just five minutes a day. Number two, enjoy God's world. Nature always has a way of opening us up to the beauty and goodness of God. John Calvin called it his amphitheater. Two weeks ago, I was in California for our uh, denomination's national gathering. After we finished our meetings, uh, one of our deacons and I uh, took a trip down to San Diego, and we ended up at La Jolla Beach. Have any of you been there before? 
It's amazing. It's incredible. A couple of you. Um, takes your breath away, right? I didn't know what to expect because we just randomly pulled it off of a map. We said, this looks good. So we, we parked our car. We got out. We walked up to the barrier. And laying on the rocks of the shore below were hundreds of sea lions and seals just sunning themselves. Some of them were wrestling with each other or barking. It was hilarious and adorable and beautiful. We were enthralled and delighted as we watched God's creation. That day I was reminded that he is a happy, joyful God who takes great delight in the world that he's made. Number three, be with God's people. In both of the passages that we read today, the main passages were about the way that God's people interact with each other. Holiness does not happen in isolation, and neither does happiness. I had a boss years ago that was such a visible demonstration of the way that God grows us. He always spoke the truth to me in a spirit of love. I learned more of what God is like just by knowing him. I got to learn more about God's character. That's how the church is supposed to work, not just to show us what God is like, but to help us become that. So number four, here's the last one, pray honestly. What if we began to talk to God the way that we talk to our spouses, our family, our neighbors, our coworkers? What if we invited him into little moments of our daily life? What if we spilled out our frustrations to him or thanked him for an act of kindness or protection? Or what if we out loud savored one of his provisions? I told a friend recently, God always has his big boy pants on. You can go to him with whatever you're feeling. He's not scared and he's not intimidated. Take it to him. Pour out your heart. Holiness is honest. This week, I would encourage, encourage you to take four days, it could be any four, um, and to focus on one of the ideas that we've talked about. Knowing God's word, enjoying God's world, being with God's people, and praying honestly. Each day, focus on one. Maybe one of those days you'll choose to read and meditate on a few verses of scripture. Maybe one day you'll share short one-sentence prayers with God throughout your day. Maybe you'll take your dog for a walk outside and enjoy his creation. Whatever you feel led to do, find a way to incorporate these simple practices in your life this week and see if you don't just feel a little happier. I think you might. I'm going to close with a prayer from the beautiful Puritan prayer book, The Valley of Vision. The prayer is called God Enjoyed, and I'm just going to share a few lines of it with you. It says, I bless thee, that thou hast made me capable of knowing thee, the author of all being, and resembling thee, the perfection of all excellency, enjoying thee, the source of all happiness. May it be so in your life this week. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have not just called us to live a holy and happy life, but you have given us your very spirit to do it. Thank you that he already lives inside of us because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Thank you that we have free and full access to his power, to his understanding, to his 
ways. Thank you that he knows you. He knows your heart. He knows the best ways for us to live and that he can help us and empower us to walk in your ways, to live a holy and happy life. Would you accomplish that work more and more in our lives that each day we would look more and more like you, Jesus? We pray it in your name. Amen.